Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, co-founder of Envision Consulting and the host of the podcast, Nonprofit on the Rocks. Before the pandemic, the part of my job that I loved the most was going on happy hours with my clients, with nonprofit leaders, and just anybody who was a badass do-gooder in nonprofit. Over drinks, I'd learn why they got into nonprofit, what inspires them, what keeps them motivated, and what drives them insane. When everything shut down, I realized how much I missed those conversations. And honestly, drinking alone right now isn't that much fun. So then it occurred to me that not only do these conversations not have to end, but maybe there are like one or two listeners out there who'd like to listen. People like me, who are tired of the same boring industry podcast and want something different. So pull up a seat, pour yourself a drink, and join me in the conversation. Hello, Mark Watterson. How are you? Hello, Matt Kamen. I am as good as could be expected. So I want, <laughs> wait until we're done and then we'll talk. So I, <laughs> I want our like one or two or I don't know however many listeners we have to know how you got so, uh, got on the show so early in its premiere and its nepotism. So yeah. you want to yeah. let our listener know how we're talking? It's a great American success story, really. I slept my way to the top. I mean, I, I'm married to your producer who, before I came up here, she gave me two pieces of advice. She said, don't suck well, and we already, be interesting. We, we already know you're going to fail at both. So. I know, right? Come that on. wasn't very fair. That wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. Oh, no. she kneecapped me before it even started. Oh, Mark, I'm thrilled that you're married to Ashley, our producer, who I don't know if she told you is both anti-Semitic and homophobic and likes to show up to staff meetings topless. Has she talked to you about any of that? Has she talked to you about any of that? Uh, she did share the human resources reports that you've written her up for. So yeah, we've gone over those. We've retained an attorney. Mm. I, I mean, it's California, so I'm not actually sure that her doing that is illegal. The, uh, I don't think that showing up topless is a protected status, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we're going to fight it out. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Mark Watterson, thank you for joining us. You're the executive director of the Convalescent Aid Society which we'll get to later, which I've always thought is a terrible name, but does really great work. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before we start, because we're nonprofit on the rocks, what are you drinking for your happy hour drink? I'm drinking tonic water that I made myself with my soda stream. Mm, that is right. Because I forgot that your wife, the producer of the show that is about cocktails, told me that you don't drink cocktails, but we still had to have you on. Exactly. I could have lied and made up something more interesting, but... You know, if you know anything about me, Matt, you know, I'm a straight shooter. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay. Not that you care, but what I am drinking tonight with you is fancy and special because of you. This <laughs> is called Peerless. And Peerless is a distillery that Philip and I went to in Kentucky, where we just were on a bourbon trail. So I've never seen Peerless here in LA. I'm very excited about this and I'm going to have it with you. So. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers to you, my friends. Virtual cheers. Okay. So first I want to kind of understand a little bit about you. So you weren't always a nonprofit, but why in the world are you running a nonprofit charity working with old people? Yeah, well, as someone who's in the nonprofit world, Matt, I think you and I probably have similar stories. I mean, we grew up both wanting to be in the nonprofit world. I mean, you'd watch all the movies that glorified it. You read the books. I mean, there were the action figures. It was like, you know, being a nonprofit 
employee was what people aspire to, right? And I'm just fortunate enough that someone gave me a chance. So here I am. I mean, right? isn't that your story? <laughs> I'm out of the nonprofit world. That's the whole thing. I'm out. I left it. Although now I'm back in it again. <laughs> no, I, uh, to be honest, I wanted to do anything else but this, but I just wasn't good at anything else. So I ended up here. If we talked so, to Ashley, would Ashley tell us that you're good at nothing else but running? <laughs> Is that what Ashley would say? Uh, no, she's incredibly supportive. She would tell me that I'm amazing. And that's why I love her. You we're need people in your life that tell you that you're amazing. We're going to have to talk to Ashley after, after the interview about that. Because I'll tell you something. If you talk to my husband, he would not tell you any of that. So I find that hard to believe. He's not listening. I've met your husband. Yes, but he's not going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to tell you that right now. He's like, listen, <laughs> listen, Matt, it's a terrible idea that you're doing it and it's going to suck anyway. And I have to hear you all the time. So I'm not listening. So, <laughs> just so you know. okay. So in terms of running your nonprofit, which like I said, we'll get to in a minute. What's like, you're going to the office in COVID. You're going, you're showing up. What is like the, what brings you joy when you go? Whew. Can we aspire to joy right now? I mean, honestly, while things are what they are, yeah, I don't think anything work-related right now gives me joy, but I do feel a responsibility to take care of the clients who rely on us and also to protect our staff who are, if not on the front lines of this, they're certainly dealing with people who are frontline adjacent. Since most of the clients that we serve, and we didn't kind of answer this because I joked around earlier and didn't answer your question, but our, not at all, not at all. Yeah, the, the nonprofit that I run provides medical equipment for free to people in this area, most of whom are elderly, mm -hmm. so they are at a much higher risk of contracting COVID, and so every day has been truly every day has been a battle to keep our staff safe and to keep the clients who rely on us safe so that's why i go in and that's why i do it <laughs> getting joy though i think i'm happy when we go home and we've helped some people and no one got sick listen i know your organization i know what you guys do and it is really important in the community and you are frontline workers right now you are so i guess you know what as i don't like to give you praise because you know i know you for a while i don't like to give you praise but um <laughs> But it is really, I think what you do is so important. And and especially going into the office like you do is really important. So that brings me joy. It brings me joy when I see you. Except, and I'm going to tell you because the listener doesn't know who you are at this point, but your outfit actually is not as terrible as it normally is. So I like the shirt. I like the sweater. Thank I you. Like, I feel like yeah. you've trimmed the beard a little bit. It looks pretty good. I think you've trimmed the beard. You know, as a nonprofit executive, I, I kind of, I'm forced to wear whatever I can piece together. It's not a glamorous existence, man. Listen, and listen. you are right to give me a hard time for the way that I look. We've seen those pants. We've seen those hats. You dress gayer than I do, just <laughs> so you know. <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. There's a small part of me, Matt, that takes that for the compliment that you did not intend it to be. <laughs> So, I mean, that's high I want, praise. I don't want hate letters because dressing gay, what does that mean? People are going to get mad at me. But yes, no, I love the way you dress. I love Thank you, my friend. I love that means a lot. About Thank it. you. Okay, so at the beginning, before we, before we went live, I was telling you about the four choices that I gave my husband where to go on a trip. So I'm going to ask you where you would go. So 
Philip and I just came back from a week, a week long trip in Kentucky. We did the Kentucky bourbon trail. I'm still wasted from the last week. I literally, I think, I think we did 20 distilleries in six days. So think about all the booze plus dinner, plus some really good bourbon slushies, by the way, I know you don't drink, but a bourbon slushie. Wow. If I did drink, I think that sounds right up my alley. Wow, was it good. It was so good. I'm still like dreaming about that bourbon slushie and I don't know how to make it. But okay, so here are the four choices that I gave him. What would you have picked? So I said one week in the Northeast to watch the leaves change and eat lobster. One week on the Kentucky bourbon trail, just drinking and getting wasted every day. One week in like Montana, Idaho area. And then one week in Tahiti. Who would you have picked? Well, one of our honeymoon stops was in Tahiti. So I would probably... Even though I've already been there, I'd probably choose that again just because it was amazing. You know, right. the overwater bungalow thing is right. It's, right. it's a little too on the nose for a honeymoon, honestly, but it's fantastic. I mean, so. uh, he chose he chose Kentucky and I gave him Tahiti as an option. So yeah. are you guys, have you guys gone anywhere in COVID? Have you traveled anywhere? Uh, we've been to the Phoenix area a couple of times, just renting a house with a pool, hanging out. Would you get on a plane right now? No, I wouldn't. Again, I mean, we're frontline, so I feel the risks that I'm taking going into the office. You're living in COVID right now, so you kind of assign, okay, which boxes am I going to put risk into? All my risk chips are in the going into the office thing right now. Like, we're pretty good at home about not not seeing other people. We're not having parties. We're not going to bars. We're getting on a plane. If my situation was different, I mean, I, you know me, I love to travel. It's probably my favorite thing to do. So tonight you're at the airport. Don't worry about money. You don't have a kid to deal with. Just, oh. just you and Ashley. Just you and Ashley. Well, if you want to take Ashley, that's that's a whole conversation. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. Where do you go? Oh, man. You know, when I was out of college, I island hopped through Greece for a while. And Ashley hasn't been to the Greek islands. So I think I would go... Greece, Croatia, sort of Mediterranean. I think I would do that. I think we can go to Croatia right now. I feel like we're on the, that sounds that amazing. might be on the list. Hey, are you a speedos guy or are you like a shorts guy? Does it go below the knees? What do you, I mean, what do you think? You're speedos. After, You're speedos. You're speedos yeah. all day long. All day long. Yeah. No, I mean, come on. <laughs> and I've got when I do that though, I do the gold chains, and I don't shave my chest for oh, a while. And I just, I mean. Yeah. And with my skin tone, people who are listening to this don't know, my skin tone can be described as pale-ish. <laughs> so the Speedo look is pretty awesome. So here's what we're going to do. because And because you're sleeping with the producer, we can do this. So on the website, when we talk about this, this show, it's a picture of you, right? So what I want that picture to be is you in said Speedos with that gold chain. So I'm going to be on top of Ashley to make that happen. You were trying to drive away the two people who already listen. You want it down to zero? All the business. All the business will be gone staring at you in a Speedo. But I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. So, like, that's going to be, I'm telling you right now, that's the picture. We're going to make that happen, Mark. Yeah. Matt, I I have seen your husband, and trust me, (laughs) seeing me in a Speedo is not going to help anything. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. That's I can already see, like, and when we do, like, the press release on this this podcast, it's going to be you in that Speedo. This is going to be, this is going to be amazing, Mark. You're going to, like... 
quadruple our one listener to be yeah. four listeners now. I'm so excited. I, yeah, I would put some money down that that won't happen. So I'm, we can have a side bet off the air. I'm so excited. We're just going to have to, you're going to have to do some sit-ups, you know, a little bit and like maybe walk around the block a few times. I'm excited. So let's go back to nonprofit for a minute. So <laughs> yes, thank you, please. If, if I am a college grad and I come into your office right now and I ask you like, Okay, Mark, if you're an executive director of a great nonprofit, how do I do that? What do I do to become a nonprofit executive director? What do you tell me? You want me to talk about my experience on how I got here? Because I feel like I was joking around at the top of the show. Let me put it this way. I didn't even know what a nonprofit was when I graduated college. You know, so the idea that people would self-select into it seems odd to me. But I think there's a couple ways that it happens. Probably most of the people that end up in leadership positions in nonprofits are true believers, right? You know, they, they're social workers or they love rescue dogs. And so they started volunteering at the ASPCA and then they got hired and blah, 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 blah. And they ascend through the ranks because they have a passion for the mission and they've shown some competency and leadership skills. And so they just get kind of promoted up through the ranks. I got into nonprofits because a job that I wanted to do fell through and I knew someone who was hiring, who was running a nonprofit. And I just said, oh, I'll try it. Without knowing what I wanted to do, it was everything that I wanted to do. So for me, the thing I love about it, one of the things I love about being a nonprofit executive is I get to run my own business and all the challenges and excitement that is running your own business. But instead of making widgets, we're helping people. And there's not necessarily that, oh, I got to make as much money as possible. It's you know, how can we help as many people as possible? And I, that resonates with me. I don't know how many people look at business opportunities and say, I'd like to work in this industry that's just as hard, if not harder than working for a regular, quote unquote, regular company. It pays a bunch less. It's got fewer resources. You're handicapped by the same regulations. You know, go for it. I don't know how many people choose that. So I think most of them are probably, you know, the true believers. So here's a question. Would you rather be lucky or skillful? I think a lot of the inequity that is coming to the surface right now is illustrated to me, at least, that you're much more likely to succeed if you are lucky. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I mean, I won't even take it. I'll take it out of the social justice arena. We're in Hollywood-ish out here. You probably know people in the industry. I know people in the industry. I know people who are successful and I know people who maybe work regularly, but are just as talented as people who are hyper successful. So it doesn't seem like it's all skill in Hollywood. And I think in the nonprofit world or life in general, it's probably the same. It's not always about who's the best at what they do. It's so funny. I always ask this interview in an interview question, would you rather be lucky or skillful? And they always say skillful. And I'm like, but if you don't have the luck, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that chance to have your skill. It's just well, always. If, I mean, if you think about it, everyone wants to feel that they have achieved success in life because they are talented. Right. I would like to feel that way about myself too. And I'm certainly not totally incompetent. But I can look back on my history and see many points where I was guided because of my situation right. into opportunities that allowed me to succeed. Right. And if you don't have those hands out along the way, it's really hard to succeed. 
think I said this on one of the shows, but again, no one's listening. Neither am I. I'm not listening to my phone. <laughs> I, the reason why I got my first job, aside from fully lying on my resume, fully lying. <laughs> and, before, and by then they couldn't, they couldn't Google me because it didn't exist, um, was luck. I just happened to meet the right person at the right time. I just happened to have the right person as the board chair at the right time who said, we're going to take a chance on the 26-year-old who's totally lying on his resume. And it happened. So yeah. But I, I want to go back to that question because you didn't really answer it for me. I'm in your office. I want to be an executive director. Tell me, like, what are the steps I should take to become an executive director of a nonprofit that I am at some point passionate about? I would talk you out of it in the same way that I'm going to talk my son out of going into the arts when he grows up. You just pissed off our one listener who is. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jerry. Sorry. I know you like the podcast. Listen, listen, I I interviewed the CEO of the Wallace and she's in the arts. So she just got pissed. She just got real pissed at you. But all right, fine. So you would try and talk me out of it. And I say, no, no, Mark. Okay. All right. I will take your, I will take your question at face value. Being a nonprofit executive requires a very, very broad band of expertise. You have to understand budgeting and finance. You have to have an operational bent. You have to be a storyteller. You have to have, unless you're at a much larger organization than mine, okay? But if you're at a small to mid-sized nonprofit, you have to know something about everything, really. So, you know, HR, okay. I, I mentioned earlier, you just like a for-profit business, we're under all the same regulations that Amazon is in a sense. Like we've got to pay our people the appropriate wage. You know, we got to make sure they take breaks at a certain time. We had to go through sexual harassment prevention training because Rich. that's the law in California. Rich, listen, you got to tell your wife about that. Just FYI, you got to tell your wife about that sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah, have you now, have you all done that? We, listen, listen. So is it Ashley's fault or not, is the question. Listen, I, I'm not here to talk about how we run our company because <laughs> nobody needs to know what we do on a daily basis, thankfully. I'm just saying. Anyway, my advice, I guess, is what I'm saying is, is learn as much as you can about as many things as possible. Right. My last job before this for nine years was doing pretty much all the same things I do now. And I got the wonderful, lucky chance to learn in a very supportive environment. I learned how to handle disgruntled employees. I learned how to manage hourly staff members. I learned to manage skilled staff members. You know, I did some fundraising. I figured out maintenance type things. We did some renovations. So I managed capital projects. Unless you come up through the ranks in the area of specialty, that you're passionate about, I think the best executive directors are people who are business leaders that understand how to run a company and can make best use of the resources available. Okay. So if I were to look for like my first job, right? I'm out of college. I've talked to you. You've told me all this and you're right. You have to know everything as an executive director. So if I want my first job in a nonprofit, should I be looking in fundraising? Should I be looking in programming? Should I be looking in like facilities? What do you think? I would recommend that people, if they really want to work in the nonprofit world, I think they choose a nonprofit that is going to give them the opportunity to acquire skills. So like a small nonprofit. If you go into a small nonprofit and you say, I will do whatever and I want to learn, most likely 
a well-run nonprofit will give you the opportunity to increase your skill set. Okay. So to me, it almost doesn't matter what you do, just get your foot in the door. And then once you're there, ask to help out with stuff. Say, hey, if I finish doing blah, 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 blah early, can I come and, you know, sit in on this meeting with you? Or, oh, you're doing this different fundraising appeal than you've done before. Why are you doing that? Can I talk to you about that for five minutes? And nonprofits are stretched so thin. If you show a desire to help and you are competent at all, nonprofit employees will put you to work. Yeah. Right? I mean, hasn't that been your experience? That's true. Yeah, they will. My first real job and my previous job before this was that. It was, I just kept being given things to do, not screwing them up too badly and then getting more things to do so that when I came, when it came time for me to interview for a job to run an organization, I could at least say, honestly, in my case, on my resume, here are all the things that I have done that would make me at least not a horrible hire for you. <laughs> so like in, in all, by the way, your camera, it's very cool. Like, I don't know if you know this about your camera, but it backs up and it moves forward and it backs up and it follows you on its own. One of the things that you want to do as a podcast host is you want to get sponsors. I do. I so, do. I would, I would. I would. Yeah. So here's a little plug. If you use it, if you want, this is the new Facebook portal. It's cool. Which I read a really good review the other day about how Zoom meetings are intolerable. And one of the things the author said was you have to sit completely rigid for like an hour in a meeting, because if you move around, your head is out of focus or it's look, it looks like you're looking whatever, whatever. So I got one of these, it's brand new. And yeah, if I move around, it follows you, it follows me and it frames me in the center. And it's just less annoying than having to sit kind of. It's really cool. I'm actually really enjoying, I'm really enjoying like something new on Zoom. By the way, you just backed up and I see you're wearing pants. By the way, I'm not. So yeah. I, I was going to take, the, I had pants off at the start, but you weren't on the call at first. I so I, yeah, I, I put them on. I, was late. I wish you had kept your pants off because mine are off. So just, yeah, I'm but my camera follows me around. So I guess you have to wear pants. Awkward. I'm not those Speedos that you're going to wear. How's the bourbon? It's so good. It's like so different than anything I've ever had. This peerless. Peerless could be a sponsor at some point, but it's so good. Okay. So in all seriousness, like, now that you've been an ED executive director for, what's it been, like five years? I was hired in 2014, if you can believe that. Six years. Jesus. So now that you've been an executive director for six years, if you can go back and, like, you're looking, you're talking to yourself and you'd say, go for it or don't go for it, you'd still go for it and still do this? I would, but I will say it's not for everyone. (laughs) I mean, it's, there are days that are, they're tough. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think people would say that in any industry, but whether it's a funder who doesn't like something that is on a grant application and wants to give you a hard time about it, or it's, you know, I've got 20 board members and they're all amazing, but in situations where a board member wanted to make my life difficult, they have direct access to me and there's 20 of them. So that can be less, I mean, how many people, it's like office space. You know, he talks about having however many bosses he has. In a sense, I've got 20 bosses. Any one of them could come in at any point and say, you know what, I don't like what you're doing and I'm going to make your life miserable. So there are challenges that are inherent with working in a nonprofit at this level that are not for everyone. 
but but for me i i enjoy the challenge of running my own business while also being able to go home at night feeling like in a very small way i have made or my organization has made the world slightly better i like that i like that a lot okay yeah i mean i think there are being an executive director sucks it's tough like you said you've got 20 bosses on the board it's hard but when you do have those victories, that's why I asked you what brings you joy. When you do have those victories, it makes everything worthwhile. It does. It does. And that's something that if you were talking to that young 20-something-year-old that wanted to work a nonprofit, you've got to figure that's why they want to do it. It's because they look around at the world and say, you know what, I'd like to make the world slightly better. And you do get that when you work in a nonprofit. It's sometimes hard to remember that that's why you're in it because you are in a regular job for all intents and purposes from nine to five or whenever your hours are, <laughs> you're in meetings, you're filling out reports, you're doing whatever you do and it's a regular job. But yes, when you step back a couple steps and look at what you've accomplished, I think you can feel slightly good about yourself. Listen, I think COVID has been really difficult for all of us. And I think it's made seeing, seeing those small things to give us pleasure and happiness. It's made it really hard, really hard. And I think it's really hard for us to sort of just remember the big picture. It's hard because COVID has really sucked. Um, yeah. And it's been hard. Have you talked on your other podcasts? I've listened to Ashley edit some of them, but have you talked to other of your interviewees about how COVID has impacted their leadership and their organizations? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a common thread there? Let's take money out, take fundraising out, take finances out. The hardest thing about COVID I think has been just zoom and being away from people and being at home and being scared and not being able to really be a community anymore because we're not because we're all you know staring at stupid screens all day and then the staff who have to come in are afraid so COVID has been difficult but i will tell you that what is nice about this is this now that your camera by the way your camera just literally moved up to your face again you moved so like the facebook camera just moved but i i think that COVID has been nice with this that i'm able to see more people like you than I would have seen before. So, I mean, the silver lining. And I went to Kentucky and Kentucky. Look, Kentucky wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID. I think you we brought just... back, that bottle is fairly large. I'm imagining it costs a significant amount of money. Oh, it's like a, it's I like a barrel. I, I, listen, I don't remember because I was wasted the whole time. So whatever That's we- That's how spent, they get you. Whatever That's we how spent. they get you. They booze you up and then they run you through the gift shop. Listen, they are smart and it worked. Okay, so if when COVID goes away and like we can go back to normal, what is like one thing from this experience, from dealing with all this bullshit that you are going to bring to Convalescent Aid Society that's going to change your leadership style or change how you run things? What's one thing that you're going to make different once we can all go back to the office and be normal-ish again? I'll give you a really technical operational change and I'll see if that's significant enough and answers your question. For us, truly, the best thing that's come out of this so far is the realization that we can tweak our service model to help our clients. You know, most of the people who come to us because we're giving them medical equipment, they have mobility challenges. And it never occurred to us until COVID that we could have them fill out everything easily online and then we could just bring their stuff out to the car. But because of the, you know, the COVID regulations that the city of Pasadena put in place for us to reopen, 
we had to do that. And after about a week, it just hit me. I was like, we're just going to keep doing this after COVID is over. So that's a really operational thing. I would say if you had a, if you wanted a more universal sort of answer that might be more interesting to people, I think you've hit on it. It's the way that we connect, that we've learned to connect with people is in a way less personal, but actually more personal. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a Zoom meeting and there's six people in the meeting and I've got all their windows up, I actually interact. I feel like I am better connected to them than I am when I'm sitting in a room with them because I can look in one, without moving my neck, I can look into the eyes of everyone and I can kind of see how they're reacting to stuff in real time that I didn't realize I wasn't doing as well before the pandemic. Yeah. So I think being more aware of how people are processing my interaction with them is something that I hopefully will be able to to continue to maintain once life goes back to, air quotes, normal. What about, I like that. What about like in your personal life? What are you and Ashley going to do differently once COVID is done? Uh, Swiss boarding school for Evan. (laughs) Hey, that's a great idea. Send him to Switzerland and then you guys can just yeah. love it. Love yeah. It. We are getting a lifetime's worth of parenting, you know, out of the way right now. So I will have done as much parenting as was expected of me throughout Evan's whole life. I will have packed that all into this time. So as far as I'm concerned, he can go to boarding school. Love it. And I can see him once or twice a year. I love it. What do we just say? I will just communicate with him through my Facebook portal. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be even better than when he's downstairs <laughs> playing in his little playroom oh, asking me to come see the thing that he has built. I'm just going to tell you that what, has, what COVID has brought home yet again is how happy I am that Philip and I decided no children. Because <laughs> like every one of my friends, colleagues who's a parent is like, you're all of you you're like fuck these kids are just driving me insane and you have no escape like literally because they're five six seven eight years old you just can't leave you're like hey you guys figure it out i'm out for the weekend but i yeah so, my friend yeah, so i have this i've developed this uh, a scale in which i have empathy for you marks mm-hmm. we'll call it marks empathy scale mm-hmm. the people at the absolute bottom of my empathy scale are people like you and your husband who both of them, you both have your jobs, you don't have kids mm-hmm. and you're not in danger of, I'm guessing you bought that giant thing of bourbon. You're not in danger of losing your house or your cars aren't going to be repossessed. You have some financial security. I, so you're, you're at the bottom. I'm at the bottom of that. Yeah. Well, but what you're telling me right now, Mark, is that you're a little bit homophobic. That's what I got out of this, that you have no empathy for me because you're a homophobe. That's what I'm getting out of this. Fair. That's a very 2020 perspective <laughs> for you to garner from what I just said. No, I know. But, again, but, you know, and Ashley and I are up the scale a little bit. We have a young child, but we also aren't in danger of losing our house. We are very fortunate that we've been able to bring in help to take care of him a little bit, to augment his, his education. The people at the very top of my empathy scale are people with ki- young kids who have lost a job or maybe they're both working and can't watch their kid. I mean, that's been really impactful for us at Convalescent Aid Society is half my staff has young kids. And so we have tried to manage the workflow to a degree that allows them to parent and take care of their kid. 
and still do enough work to keep all of our heads above water. But it's tough. Yeah. It's been really challenging. And the, the leadership in this country at the state and federal level have not done us any favors. So we're running an organization right now where throughout the whole pandemic, we've been given very little guidance about what is safe. I've had to figure that all out. I've been given very little financial assistance. We've gotten, we're fortunate, we got a PPP loan, which was, I'm very thankful for that, but navigating that process was a nightmare. Beyond that, there's been nothing. You know, the overall sort of societal response to COVID has been less than stellar as it reflects national leadership. And so people around here are still getting sick. It's going to take longer for us to reopen because the cases continue to surge. So yeah, it's running a business, any business right now is a nightmare, especially if you have kids, especially if finances are tough. Right. Which is why I'm saying yet again, I think I made the right decision by not having you. Yeah. And I feel like they're just dicks until they're like 25, right? Like, cause they like, they're cool. They're cute. They're cute when they're born and they're fine. And then they keep you up at night and then they're really cute. I think at four five, six, seven, eight, And then they become teenagers and listen, like my nephews and my nieces who are teenagers, like things they're doing things that like we all did, but like, as an uncle, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, should I tell your parents what you're doing and you're telling me you're doing? I just, I don't know what to do. So. Matt, we normally agree on stuff, but on this, you're dead wrong. Kids are awesome. <laughs> Kids are awesome. It is the best thing ever. I wish that the viewer or listener could see your face right now. But all right. Okay. So we've made it close to the end of the interview. And anyway, I think Ashley's going to edit most of this out. Yep. So just some, you know, some fun questions just because. So uh, first of all, have you met a celebrity before in LA? I mean, we live in LA. So like, yeah, I have, I mean, I, I've got some friends, like I mentioned that are in Hollywood. So I used to be in a pickup basketball game with some celebrities. Wait, 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 wait. I just want to back up for one second. You played basketball. Aren't you shorter than me? Aren't you like five, nine on a good day in high heels? It's hurtful, my friend. It's hurtful. I was a very middling athlete growing up, but I took great pride in my relative success. All right. All right. So you used to play basketball. You know, I, I mean, I played, I was, a, I played college baseball, like a terrible college baseball player. So I have not no athletic ability, close to none, but I really try hard. Okay. So you were saying, so you were playing basketball and I was on the floor for a minute, but I'm back. Yeah. I'm, back. I'm back. Yeah. So I, I would run into celebrities that would show up for this basketball game, okay. which was always a trip because when you play pickup basketball with people, I feel like their true personalities are unmasked. Like you can't, you are who you are on the basketball court. Okay. If you are, for example, if you're a total alpha, you're going to shoot the ball. You're going to not play defense. You're just going to do whatever the F you want. And that comes out. And there were celebrities I played with that were definitely like that. But there were also some celebrities that were super cool. They'd remember my name. I'm nobody. They'd remember my name. I mean, you're not nobody. You're not I nobody. am nobody. You're not nobody. Really, really and truly. And that's not a slight. I, that's fine. I don't want to be anyone. You're somebody, <laughs> Mark, you're somebody to me. If you're somebody to me, then you're not nobody because, hey. And, I, and I, the I, show's I, producer. And I, the show's I, producer. I mean, actually, so I, I don't know if Ashley counts in this one, but like you're somebody to me. So right. let's. Wait, so who's the coolest celebrity then that you met that like people- The nicest person I've ever met celebrity-wise was Will Ferrell. 
he was a regular on that game and he was super nice. Like couldn't have been a nicer guy. What you see on TV is really like he is in person. Other people who I will not name, even though no one will listen to this, a lot of them were absolute jerks yeah. and are exactly the way you would imagine someone who was super, super famous would be. So <laughs> not easy. So if tonight, tonight is the absolute last meal on the face of the planet and tomorrow we are all going to be eaten up by aliens. Because I am with you. It's a 50-50 chance that that happens. I, 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 no, 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 I know. 2020 is just going to end with aliens. Like it's just, there's, it's just going to end with aliens. I just, I'm waiting for that. But okay. Tonight's your last meal. The aliens are coming tomorrow. What is it that you eat that will make you happiest? Oh, man. I've actually thought about the death row thing. Like you're on death row and you you know, like tomorrow's the last day. I'm When I'm nervous, I can't eat, which I know, blows up, which blows up. I will answer your question, but I'm just saying I have thought about this. And I feel like the last meal is a super cruel invention. Okay. You're going to die tomorrow. We're going to just let you have this one last meal. I'd rather have my last meal like three weeks before I'm going to die because then I can probably stomach the meal. But I will answer. Okay, I will answer your question. Did I think you my, my last. Time? Did you hear my side? Did you hear my side? <laughs> yes. Okay. What's your answer? <laughs> my favorite. My mom makes this potato casserole that has crunchy. It's the most Midwestern thing ever. It's got cornflakes like seeped in butter on top, and it's cheesy potato casserole. I'd have that. I'd have a honey baked ham. I'd go, you know, some buttery dinner rolls. That sounds and good. Just, and just not Speedo food for sure because I'm dying the next day. You're dying the next day. So I, have, I, have, I have two questions. First of all, why have you been thinking about what you would eat before you were gassed in the chamber tomorrow? Like, why, why were you thinking about this? Were you thinking about doing something that was going to put you in jail? Like, what's <sighs> happening in I can't recall, and I don't even know if it was sort of the world is all going to end because of COVID, or if it was just some random thought. Other than that is something that very frequently when someone's about to be executed, that's the one thing they mention. And I just find there's, I have a morbid, morbid, my curiosity was piqued in a morbid sense as, as so why do they mention the last meal? Then it went to why do they provide the last meal? And then I thought, okay, would I actually have any stomach to eat my last meal? Interesting. So your mom, what she made is what the, I feel like what the French call uh, like a gratin, gratin? Sort of, but we do hash brown potatoes that are cubed, which allows the cheese to get everywhere. And it's got butter and it's got, I think, cream of mushroom soup mixed in. I mean, it's very Midwestern. That sounds so good. That would have been really great every day. I was wasted on the Bourbon Trail. That, it was, it's perfect. Yes. That would, have been, that would have been, I mean, I would have come back really fat and I got to fit in my pants. I got to fit in these pajamas that I'm wearing actually right now, but generally. Okay. So that was that. And then why don't you tell our listener why they should make a donation to Convalescent Aid Society. So let's do a plug. Give me like a 30 second why right now I should go online Look up the Convalescent Aid Society, CAS, write a check, make a donation. Convalescent Aid Society is the only organization in Southern California that provides free medical equipment to everyone, regardless of their income or insurance status. And it allows people to keep the equipment for as long as they need. So we're in this really interesting space where we help people recover. We help people age in place and... We save the taxpayer money 
because it is equipment that doesn't need to be paid for by the general public. So if you're one of those people that feel government should stay out of providing social services for people, you know, I can talk to that individual. If you believe that we should take care of our fellow man, I fill that niche. And it is a way that protects families because oftentimes the people who use our services by getting a piece or two of equipment, they're able to stay in their homes. They don't have to go to a nursing home. They can be around their loved ones and they have better health outcomes. I like that. So what is it? It's CAS.net. What's your website? www.cas1.org. Why CAS1? Because you were like the first CAS out there or just that was just what was available? I would guess that CAS had already been taken by the time we got onto the interwebs in the 1990s or whenever it was. CAS1. I can go back. Listen, if I can go back to the 90s, oh my God, I would have told myself to do so many things on the internet, like not ever have gotten into nonprofit, but gone the uh, gone the internet way. But here we, are. here we are. You would have bought 10 shares of Amazon and you'd be retired now. Oh my God. God, I could just go back. A- Amazon, Apple, Google. Here we are. Um, Facebook portal. My camera. This camera. This camera. Yeah. This camera. I've been watching you. So, well, my friend, thank you very much for taking the whatever, how much time you spent with me. I've learned some things about you tonight that I didn't know. And the most important thing that I've learned is speedos are going to happen in their picture. You're screwed. It's just happening. It's just happening. I would say anyone that sees the picture. It's screwed. It's screwed. No, it's true. It's true. So Ashley and I are going to have a lot of fun editing this. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell us before we end the show? I appreciate being here. And I did it not just because I love your producer, but because I think you and Allison have a great model and I have experienced it firsthand since I came up through the search process for the current job that I have through your method. So I feel like you do a really good job of identifying what is important when a board is making a hiring decision. And I have great gratitude to you all for the process that you run because it has put me into this job that I really love. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you're awesome. Even though we give you shit, you know, you're awesome. And on that note, thank you, Executive Director. Enjoy your bourbon. I will enjoy my bourbon. And thank you very much for being part of this show. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So uh, we're done with your husband, and what I hope happens is that his organization grows, but we both know he's just going to get fired, right? I mean, he's not that great at his job. (laughs) Every day he comes home, and we're just like, fingers crossed that today isn't the day that they decide to let him go. I know, I know, I know. That guy, he's amazing at making people think he knows what he's doing. I mean, just... Just so impressed by him. Just so impressed by that, really. It's, it truly is a skill, that whole making people think that you know what you're doing. You know, I there's mean, fake it till you make it, and then there's Mark, you know? I think that Mark should start a podcast about fake it till you make it. I think that that would be really helpful for folks out there, especially now in the pandemic, right? Because nobody wants to do anything. I bet you, Matt, if we Googled it, there is a podcast called Fake It Till You Make It. It just seems like highly improbable that there isn't that. And your husband's totally hosting it. You just don't even know it. He is. It's happening from the basement. Honestly, I just don't think he's doing anything else during the day anyway. So, so anyway.
enough giving Mark a ton of crap because I could do that all day. But I am so, 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 so excited about our next interview. Her name is Patty Pamicha. Um, she's just a badass. I mean, when we say badass, do gooder, that's her. I mean, you know, she was like the first female champion surfer, which is nuts. She actually offered to take me surfing, which mm. would be great for her because I'd be the first person to fail. <laughs> she sued CNN for getting fired because she basically, because she had a baby and she mm. won. Um, she's a teacher at Pepperdine. She's just absolutely amazing. And I can't wait for people to learn about her and really hear her story. Well, as a as a female athlete myself, um, I'm totally jazzed about this interview because she is a true hero to so many women. She has really, um, like you said, she started the pro surfing tour. Um, but then the the real battles, which I think I think she would tell you is she's most proud of, is what she's done off. What do you call it? Off the waves, <laughs> not <laughs> off the court, right? Um, with e- equality, fighting for equality in in sport and in and in life for gender equality. So it's yeah. super awesome. And people don't not, you know, not them people know about her. And she really did pave the way for so much equality in sports. And I just I am so lucky to have been able to interview her. And this is like the first interview that I totally geeked out on. And so she's pretty amazing. And I cannot wait for folks to hear and learn from her stories. Yeah, me too, Matt. So everyone tune in to hear Patty Panicha on the next episode of Nonprofit on the Rocks. <laughs>